0: Welcome to STEAM Powered, where I have conversations with women in STEAM to learn a little bit about what they do and who they are. I'm your host, Michelle Ong. My guest today is Robin Wiener, President and Founder of Get Real Health. Robin is a leader and change agent in healthcare IT, and is passionate about empowering patients for better engagement and outcomes. Join us as we speak about Get Real Health's digital front door, putting people first in healthcare and business, and finding your path. So good morning, Robin. Thank you for joining me today on STEAMPART. It is wonderful to have you speaking with me today about your journey and health IT. Thank you so much for having me tonight uh, today. I'm um,
1: very excited to be here and just love the subject matter, really talking about STEM and talking about technology and talking about where your career can go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much scope to move as well. We're not limited as we used to be in terms of what we can do and achieve in these areas. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you get from human resources into, you know, managing a health IT organization? <laughs> exactly.
1: So when I, um, it, and this is something interesting, when people are trying to make a career change, I was in retail. Retail is tons of hard work and um, it's hard on your body. It's hard on all those kind of things. And honestly, financially, it's not a, a big win-win, right? So I had a friend of mine say, hey, you know what you should do is write down all the things you really love to do and all the things you really hate to do. And one of the things I really love doing is bringing teams together and building the right team, doing recruiting, bringing all those people together, which drove me to say, hey, wait a second, maybe there's something else for me to do. And that really brought me to recruiting and with, with, then from recruiting into the human resources side of it. So I've always been innate to actually build a team. And so what you got to do when you're changing a career or looking at something differently is figure out what you love and take what you love and see if it applies someplace else. And that's kind of what I did. And so with that, I got into recruiting and I ended up getting into recruiting at a technology company. So with that, I ended up um, working at, uh, which is now Lockheed Martin, but it's a company called Aspen Systems. And I did recruiting for them and really learned how to, to bring the right technologists on. How and not only technology, there's a whole slew of, of, of different kind of, um, careers. And I loved it. I loved it because you're changing people's lives by bringing people into the right career and bringing them to where they need to be. From there, I went to uh, Wang, which is very like, you don't hear that very often anymore, but Wang was a big technology company back then. And I really did a real direct technical recruiting. And from there I went to, and this is where my career kind of changes into a company called um, US Web. At US Web, I took it from the technology of technical recruiting and started to bring in the HR issues and starting to actually look at team building and bringing in, you're bringing the right team together, but you got to bring them in and make sure that you're getting all the, the right pieces there. So it's taking it for a step from recruiting to learning about all the back end and how to actually build that team, making sure people are placed in the right place area and how they can grow in their careers. So that's really something I became incredibly passionate about and working really in a this is back the dot-com time so there's a lot of startups a lot of that happening so really dynamic dynamic time so um sitting at the table learning so i became the director of hr for them and sitting Mm -hmm. at the table with the other c-suites and or leadership group and really learned about what does technology do do how does it work and how can we influence and bring the right people together everything from technologists to project managers to BAs all those pieces because it really takes a team to develop a product and yes. be able to understand how that team interacts and then working on their personalities because as we all know in technologies you know a lot of technologists are more on the, the quieter side and then mm-hmm. you bring somebody the big personality and it can conflict and how to work through those, comf- um, those conflicts and bring it to the other side so um we're at us web and that's when the dot-com time everything crashed
0: yeah and
1: myself and two of my partners just um, my business partners even to this day we decided to start our own firm and that's when we started get real health and so i was the people person i know how to pick people and i know how to sell the other um jason was uh is to this day a solution the most amazing solution architect in the world i mean he is He's been coding since I think he was, you know, just diapers and <laughs> loves technology. And then Mark um, and my other partner is a networking guy and strategic strategy, be able to put the thoughts together. So that's kind of how we ended up starting Get Real Health as by watching the dot coms kind of blow up. And that's where we started form the Get Real Health side of it. So it's kind of been an interesting journey. Um, but uh each piece of those journey, you, there's pieces that I can say, it's all about the people. It's all about the team. It's all about growing loyalty and growing, um, putting people, I always say people smarter than me around me to be able to take it to the next level.
0: And, you know, so often people take for granted the organizational health aspect of, you know, a business because it's about the culture and it's about the people and the way they interact and whether they can work as a team. and it, you're not just slapping a bunch of people together and hoping for the best.
1: <laughs> no, you got to be able to um, put the right personalities together. Give them the freedom to think. A lot of times, uh, managers um, almost overmanage. They're they're always like, I looked. You know, I had a conversation with my team yesterday. My whole my whole management. My whole I had a a a, a company team meeting and said, Hey, look guys, we've got, you know, we got to get sales going this year or whatever. And I basically said, Hey, you're all smart people. Come back with me some ideas. What do you guys think? And I don't care if you're, you know, the office manager or you're my solution architect or you're my sales. You guys are all know what you're doing. You don't do it. And, and it's great. I've already been getting feedback, boom, 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 feedback, about what we can do, where we can go and et cetera. And if you empower people to do the best, treat them with respect, understand mm-hmm. that they have lives outside of this this location. Um, you will, I think, get the best out of the people and they will stick with you. For I've got a lot of people that have been there 17, 14, you know, 10 years with me, a real group of them that have stuck with me, ups and downs through all of it.
0: Yeah, and, and that's incredible because, you know, in, in this day and age, that's not a thing that really happens anymore with job duration. Like a lot of people are changing, especially if you're in tech you know, within you know a couple of years each time. And, you know, there's not a lot of longevity in staying in one position at all anymore. So, yeah. There
1: isn't. So you want to challenge them because part of the reason, and it's all, not always financial, mm. part of it mm. is they want to be challenged. They want to be heard. They want to be in a situation where they're making a difference. And what we do for a living, we do make a difference. So, they want to be part of that and they uh, want to be, res- everybody wants to be respected. So, if you do that, if you give them the freedom to do it and treat them just, treat people well, you'll be amazed how many people stay with you. And then, even people who have left are still in contact with me all the time. I mean, I got COVID early on in 2020, like one of the first people, and I had old employees calling me, sending me flowers, everything to see if I was okay. And um, so, you want to build. Just the culture with inside the organization, but the culture around the world. And when things go wrong or you need some help, it's amazing. We always say it's the uh, Get Real Health family. Um, you might leave, but you never actually leave the family. And mm-hmm. and that's that's a beautiful thing that you can rely on all these different people out in the world and cheer them when they're doing well, um, even outside of where you were before. And then when something happens, they are the first one's knocking on the door to come over and say, how can I help?
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. It's it's so important so that they, you know, a lot of people bandy about that it is, you know, you're part of the company family, and that becomes almost too cliche because it's, you know, just paying lip service, but it's really about making sure that they're supported as employees and as co workers, whether or not they're still in the company. And it's it's wonderful that you you know promote that.
1: I do. I mean, um, a lot of these people, a lot of people out, you know, in the company, they're still with me, and a lot of people. Help me grow the company mm. and when so when we get a win they get a win even our clients um that have left and done I, we just hit two million patients up in canada and i called one of our he's no no, no longer with Telus, who we work up there with um he's in his own company and i first thing i did is like i text Stefan and said hey we just did it man you know he's, he's part of the journey yeah and he was actually totally pumped up and totally excited about it and and so you want to be able to do that. And honestly, everybody out there networking and keeping that network of friends and colleagues and mentors are so important because yes. you just never know where your life will go. And it's great to be able to rely on people. And the only way you can do that is treat people in the right way mm-hmm. and respect them and, and actually be their cheer- <clears throat> be their cheerleaders exactly. as they're going on with their careers.
0: Yeah it just, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, everyone needs support. And, you know, you've been part of that journey, whether or not it's been direct or indirect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. So you know, tell me a little bit about what get real health is for our listeners. So we are a digital front door, a
1: health, a digital health front door. So what is that? What does that mean? So we've been doing uh, like, here is what, um, another little cliche. Um, so we started Get Real Health uh, 22 years ago, And or I 21, almost 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started as we came out of the dot-com world, right? So this is crazy time. So we started as a professional services company. And, you know, just doing some professional service. We had really good developers. Um, and we would go out and do, you know, different jobs and things and just basically bring money. We, we bootstrapped it. We didn't take money. So we were literally working from our homes back when it wasn't popular. Um and, and this bootstrapped it. So we ended up working with a company and built out um a health application and connected into that health application into Microsoft. And that was in Microsoft um Health Vault. And Microsoft Health Vault, if if for people who aren't familiar with this, and it, it it's a phenomenal idea that this guy, Sean Nolan, who was a chief engineer um at uh Microsoft, and you want to talk about technologists. I mean Hands down, man. This guy is just crazy smart, right? Um, So Sean looked at what was happening here in the United States when we had the Hurricane Katrina. Mm. And some people might remember that or not, but for us here in the U.S., it was a huge moment in time. So that is when the hurricane came in and flooded New Orleans. And all these people lost everything. So think about all your health records. So you're sitting at your house. Your house is flooded now. So all your medication, all your records are gone. <clears throat> you go, you say, okay, I'll call my doctors. Guess what? All those paper t- copies are gone, the doctors. All right, I'll call the hospital. They have servers, right? Well, that's when all the servers were in the basement. Yep. Well, what happens when a server gets flooded? It blows, right? So now these people are going into Dallas or into Houston, Dallas, Houston, et cetera, and saying, I have chemo. I, I know I'm in chemo. I don't know where I am in the process.
0: Mm.
1: Or I know I take a pink pill every morning. I have no idea what that pink pill is. So, what was Sean's concept? And this is where we just were like, oh my God, this is so right, is to take all that information and put it into the cloud. And this is just when clouds, the cloud concept was coming out, right? Mm-hmm. So, Microsoft was one of the leaders in the cloud um, technology. So, we jumped on with that right away. We thought, geez, this is the right place to go. So, we had just built this wellness program for a company and we did the integrations into Health Vault. With Health Vault, with Microsoft, they loved what, our, we, I have just really super crazy smart technologists. I mean, they just, hands down, right? Um, and they, they the Microsoft guys took, and looked at the tech, you know, basically at the code and said, "Man, I mean, this is really good code, really, really good code. Would you mind doing some more projects like this for us? So um, we, we connected Fitbit, when Fitbit was five people. Yeah. Um, those five people have done quite well from um, Fitbit. Um, <laughs> so a we bit. A good bit. Um, but one of the first things they asked we they connected us with American Cancer Society. I mean, um, no, sorry, American Heart Association, and uh, we went down. We bid on building them a patient portal, mm-hmm. and so that was our first attempt at ba- building a patient portal. So we did it as a professional service. We built out a lightweight patient portal for them. Um. We delivered it, they said, it's great. And then they said, hey, can you do it in Spanish? And we went, oh, okay. Um, No, we'll we'll have to go back and do all this work. Right Right behind comes American Cancer Society. And they want almost exactly the same thing with a little twist, American Cancer Society. Mm -hmm. At that time, we were doing a lot of work with with SharePoint. And we looked at it and said, wait a second, there's a product here. Mm. We need to build a product that can be flexible, that can be in any language, and to be able to do that, and be able to have different flavors of healthcare applications in the patient portal world. So Mm -hmm. bringing patient data in. So think about Health Vault being the database, we need to build something on top of that to pull that information out, to give it an exposure to uh, wait for patients and um, doctors to see it. So um, we ended up building what we called Instant PHR, and this is where the product comes in. Mm-hmm. Instant PHR is not an application. It's a platform. So we're one of the first ones to get out and build a actual platform. And we built it so there's a, a content management system on the back end. And just think of like Legos. All these different Lego pieces, pull your Lego pieces up and you can actually build all kinds of different applications. Mm-hmm. And we're able to do it. So we can build one that is a use case for cancer, use case for American for heart, or just a general one, mm-hmm. right? So we've been doing that for years. And um uh, we ended up, Microsoft came to us, they were kind of getting out of the business, they asked us, we built the, the database to replace um, Health ball called CHBase. So now we've got the database, we've got all this great information going up through APIs, which are, you know, for people out there who don't know what APIs are, they're basically, think about like little highways of, that can be built to go from one data source, so your data source in your clinical in your hospital, and then connect into another place. So we built these APIs. So we're pulling data from data from all kinds of different places. So right now we're just kind of showing this information. They said, you know what, what if you have all your devices, your Apple watches and your, your blood, um, uh, blood pressure cuffs and et cetera, mm-hmm. all that home care coming in there too. So now you get the clinical, your home care, and you can add information. So now um, we're bringing all in, and one of my favorite taglines is "See your patient like you've never seen before." Yeah, because mostly doctors see you three times a year, maybe, maybe.
0: They only get a snapshot. What cell happens
1: cell. if the doctor can see? Yeah, like it's not. What happens if they see what's going on all together and actually really bringing that all in? Mm. So we've been selling that for years, and we sell it around the world because um, of the localization. So talk about thinking about something. You run into a problem, and then say, "You know what? We're going to build." product but remember that problem we had when we couldn't do it in Spanish we had to go back and rebuild it we said well a second let's make sure but not only do it in Western languages but doing it also in the Eastern languages mm-hmm. so we have it in Arabic we have it in Chinese we've got it in Japanese we've got it in Hebrew and you know for especially Arab Ar- Arabic and um, Hebrew, you ha- it's not left to right it's yeah, right to left. Left to left. So we built in a way to be able to do that, that. So that opened the international market for us. Mm-hmm. So we're international across. Just recently we've added on what we call the digital front door. So we've always had the kind of the patient portal. Mm-hmm. What happens if you go into a hospital system and they've got all these clinics that have a patient portal, and you have all these hospitals that have all different patient portals. So the patient is going from this one portal, that portal, this portal, and they're frustrated, and they've got to pay a bill over here, and they make an appointment over here. So what we're doing from the the largest non um, for profit hospital system in the United States is we built one entry point. Mm -hmm. So all those APIs I talked about are now connecting into all those different EMRs. So it doesn't matter if you're in the hospital or you're in your clinics, all of it comes up, and we can do scheduling, secure messaging, uh, virtual care. care plans, so video conferencing, secure messaging, everything is in one place. And that is what a digital health front door is, is to be able to give that patient, that citizen, because we do it around the world, a lot of large um, department of health, <clears throat> one place to do everything. And that makes your life easier. The hospital likes it because you can pay all your bills. You're not missing your scheduled appointments. You're talking to the doctors, and especially right now with the reduction of, um, workforce in the hospital systems out there to be able to have the patients do a lot of this online versus yep. having to make a phone call
0: or try to get in all the self-service service stuff so that's a long way to get to what we're doing so there we are that's Absolutely. A, and that's what we're doing around the world that's amazing and it's such an interesting problem logistically because even within you know between individual clinics and you know financial groups sorry health groups they all run different systems. They take their records slightly differently. You know, you do have some, you know, standards for medical records, but they're not always consistent and consistently followed. So, how do you, how do you get through that challenge when you're integrating so, a new group in and, you know, trying to be compatible with your existing systems? So, one
1: in the last, I would say, uh, ten years, standards have gotten better. Mm. They started off, when we first started doing this, oh my goodness gracious, as, as you being a developer, you just look, you're like, what? The? I mean, it was spaghetti code. Yeah. It was spaghetti code, spaghetti, spaghetti um, data. So trying to get through and getting them to some kind of standardization has been hard. But with um, really in support of a lot of large groups, you know, the Microsofts, the Googles, um, the Epics, so large systems all got together and really through the government here in the US and then other governments around the world, um, really became up to a standard something called fire mm. and fire standard is standardizing that data through all different areas and here in the u.s. we have something called Meaningful use which actually forced the large EMR companies to actually have to define that to be able to do it because the hospital systems were not going to be able to get the financial pieces from what we call Medicaid and Medicare yeah. here and and then sometimes at least in, in here the margins are so small. So for a hospital to stay with an EMR, they would need that EMR to be able to go to the standards. So mm-hmm. all the EMRs had to get up. They're still a lot of them are still using MUMPS, which is technology built in the 1960s. Um, so they would have to update their their technology to this new standards. And some of them are still doing it. They're absolutely still doing it. But with that, it ends up having these APIs that are more standardized. Yeah. And we're getting most of the information in a more standard way. Because one of the biggest things we want to be able to do is as we pull all that information into the databases, into CHBase, we are, have the ability to do AI on top of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it, it is patient control. So the patient has a consent that they want to be you know, part of a research yeah. study or a clinical study. If they want to do that, we want to have data in a way that is um being able to bring that information together, to be able to get results, be able to get do that, and is powerful. Mm. It's really powerful. Here in the United States, we have a lot of our clients in rural America, and those people never actually have the ability to get into clinical studies because they're not exposed. Yeah. They're, their information is not exposed into the National Institute of Health or the, all the big pharmaceutical companies. By doing this in the right way, we're able to actually let them be exp- their information be exposed to be able to connect them into those big um, places where maybe that's going to actually save their lives. So that those are the kind of things that are are good. But to getting standardization has taken some time, but it's getting much. And I would say in the last four years, is it's there's, there's a huge turning of the tide, and it had it, it went on fast forward during COVID. Because all of a sudden, everybody was working it had to be from home, they didn't go to the hospitals, right? Yeah. They couldn't go in. So all of a sudden you got everybody's gone to telehealth. Well, they need to be able to see that information mm-hmm. upfront and personal. So it actually forced everybody to move faster. In healthcare,
0: it's always it's do, a bit slower.. Do, 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 do. Yeah. This was like, just do it. get it done. Absolutely. And that's just within uh, the us. But because you're branching out to other countries as well now, how portable are the things that you've done now which have been done to integrate domestically done internationally absolutely
1: well yeah so fire um first off most of the emr companies are international so the epics the Mm -hmm. all scripts everything is international but even for those who are not they have moved to the standards most countries or at least the, um, the western countries have moved to the same standard so it's very, you know, so we are the patient um, the, the digital front door for all the citizens of Abu Dhabi, UAE. We're also for Canada, New Zealand. You just signed something in, uh, in in Israel. So we're able to do this, and we're all over Europe. It, because the standards are there, and we are connecting into most of these large mm-hmm. governments, they already are there. Um, now, we're coming out where, when we go into countries that maybe are emerging com- com- countries, we're able to go ahead and transport that information into with a technology to take that information that's kind of all over the place, and be able to start yeah. to sort it and put it into our fire standard to bring it back up. So, um, which will help them a ton, help that organization get it in there and and bring it up. So,
0: so we do a lot of a lot that of the integration and the migration technology and stuff. But
1: yeah, and it is, but you know. Um, What was really interesting is when COVID passports Mm -hmm. came out, and um, so that was, at that time, the governments were not working very fast in figuring out how to do this. So there was a group that came together of all the top technology companies, and they really pushed the standards. And because of that, it actually made things go faster again. So, you know, we were dealing with all of them coming together, all of them doing it in a big way. And um, because of that, again, more countries came on faster to get the standards in the same place.
0: That's incredible. And it's, yeah, a lot of people don't consider about the complexity of trying to integrate, especially multiple countries and, you know, multiple organizations who will do these sorts of things in very different ways and have you know, evolve their own systems and infrastructure in different ways. And I know that one of the things that has been a bit of a bear for some people here in Australia is the fact that digital health has moved very slowly. And again, as you said, impetus was, you know, COVID, but it's been a project's been progress for, you know, a couple of decades around the same time you started doing your kind of work as well. And I don't know if this probably came up for you when you were working with uh, Telstra Health but we have the mm-hmm. My Health My Health Record, which is the Australian government version yeah, of yeah. this, you know, portal. But I, it hasn't I actually went well. for that project. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has not. Um, so
1: I actually was in a bid for that project many, many years ago. Um, yeah. And we didn't win. And they made some terrible mistakes. First off, that you know, the beginning is with they. You, know, you had to have show your passport to be able to get in, and you know, it. It, it would. They just did it the opposite of so many things that are standard. And I know that the new, the digital um health. You it, it new leadership over there mm-hmm. now, and we're, we're all hoping that maybe that will be able to do it. <clears throat> but they they tried to tie it down too tight. Yeah. They t- made it difficult for um, citizens to be able to get the information, mm-hmm. and they didn't do it in a patient-friendly way. Mm-hmm. So one of the biggest things I've done with our, our stuff is say, it cannot be something unique to healthcare. It's gotta, the, we have, of course we have our mobile app, You know, we're mobile first. It has to be as easy as using Netflix. Yeah. It's gotta be simple. It has to be as easy as doing Facebook or whatever, because that is what people are used to doing it. Don't complicate Mm. it. Put the information where they need. Give them the tools to be able to do it. And I don't think the government sometimes just get in their own ways, and they go with the big consulting companies versus trying to go with something a little bit more nimble. Mm. And that is what happened in Australia, is they went with a very big consulting company, and they got in the wrong. They didn't. They who, who didn't have experience in in that piece. And there are a lot of you know not just us, other firms that could have probably come in and made it a little better. So we we've, we've been in those conversations. Um, and I've been to Australia now three times, which is a big thing for Harris us, us <laughs> in the U.S. to be able to go to Australia, New Zealand, yeah. um, <clears throat> to be able to have those conversations. It to say there is a, a smoother, cleaner way to mm. do this, and um. Uh, I, I'm hoping for the Australian market. We're still working with Telstra. Telstra grew very quickly in the tel- Telstra mm-hmm. Health and overthought it a bit. And um, we still do a, a small project with them out of Melbourne. But um, I think they've kind of come, come full circle and is starting to put it together in a little bit of a better yeah. way. But uh, where Spark Health is down in New Zealand is doing some amazing things. They've got a great leader down there, Dr. Reedy, and he really understands what he's talking about and they're taking the right approach. They really are in, of course, where they're, they're using our system, but they are looking forward and they, they're thinking about the patients and the providers together and thinking about how we can do it simply yeah. and how can we get the information out there. So it's, it's a growing yes. piece, right? You know, um, it's it it is it's amazing and and people do look to us a little bit because we have so many people using it you know we're going to be probably by the end of the year a little over three million people using it around Mm. the world so learned a lot (laughs) i can imagine you know what works what doesn't work um you know what we did five years ago we're like oh my gosh what were we thinking you know so you learn and you adapt you have to be agile it's all about being agile and in you know like anything in the world Especially healthcare, it's out of date very Mm -hmm. quickly. And if you say to the old, you're never going to get it. And that's why, again, going back to the team to have these really sharp technologists and business analysts and strategic outlook um, is able to do it. And also talking to our clients and they talk
0: to their patients and getting that. So it kind of pulls it all together. And it, it's such an important thing to do because, you know, everyone, it's, your health is important and you want to make sure that, you know, do get continuity care, that your records are kept, you know, safe, but accessible. And, you know, that was one, that was one of a few of the problems that came up with the My Health record that, you know, clinicians were finding it difficult to get the data in. So they just weren't doing it. So records were inconsistent. They were out of date and, you know, patients would be finding that you know it wasn't valuable to them. So they'd stop using it as well. So both ends weren't participating and then you know on top of that there was cybersecurity issues and then um there was trust stuff that happened as a result of uh it wasn't very clear who had access to the data and how they were granting things like emergency access and so once you break faith with privacy you know it's hard to get people back on board again so you know one of the things yeah so one of the things with your system because so many people are using it how do you communicate you know, the safety to privacy and, you know, integrity aspect of having your data online and accessible, which is awesome and amazing, but also at risk?
1: One of the things that we've always done from the days of Health Ball is patient controlled. Mm. You decide who is able to see your information. So that's very, very important. And we've actually never had a security breach um, because you need to decide who you want to share that information with. It's not up to your doctors. It's not up to anybody else but you. So first off, that's the big for This consent module to be able to do that. But you have to tie it up as tight as possible. So they are, you know, not just the passwords and et cetera. If we feel like, you know, we've never had, I'm going to knock on wood here, we've never had a, 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 a problem with that. And um, we monitor it all the time. And making sure that we do have the consent management. We do have the privacy. We have to go to our standards on privacy. Ashley is in the mm-hmm. EU. So of all the places in the world, the highest standards yeah. are out of Europe. Um, higher than Australia, higher than New Zealand, et cetera. So we have, because we have European clients, we have to go to that standard. So
0: that as your baseline.
1: Yeah, it's my baseline, right? And then we go on top of that. We make sure it is secure. And um, we'll have... <laughs> clients say, hey, can I just look at it? They they want to change the password. No, you cannot look at their information. <laughs> there's no there's not like there's nothing that is against the law. You cannot do that. You cannot do it. So there is privacy. And even for um children, so there's a certain age of minority majority. So we have to mm. we even have that built in, say in and it's here in the United States, it's a real pain because it can be 14 in Pennsylvania and right next door in New yeah. Jersey, it can be 15. So we have to have this all set up in the back end to be able to do it. Um, I think mm. in, Australia, in New Zealand, it's 14. So what will happen was as soon as you get to that age, you don't want your parents to see it anymore. It shuts off. The message is sent to them and you can restart it yourself. And then you can invite your parents. You can make that decision that you want your parents to come in. But we go down to that granular to make sure that that information is your information. You own it, you do it. When we talk about emergency access, what we have done with emergency access, we have a module in there. You make you decide that in an emergency, I want people to be able to get in and do it. And you should. So what we've done is built an um, emergency access. You go in, you say, this is the information. You can pick which information you want the doctors to see you go into the hospital, this is the information I'm saying, and you can put into your emergency contact, my husband, you know, whatever. So what we do is you can print off that emergency access and put, it, it's a QR code mm. that goes into your wallet. And if you go into the ER or ED, the first thing the doctors do is, or nurses will do is go through your wallet and find out that they can yep. scan that. As soon as I scan is an alert goes out that that's been scanned and that's been mm-hmm. opened. So that message immediately goes to your loved one, that something has happened, that somebody's in there, and a warning and a warning has gone out to you to say somebody is in there, and there's a 72hour span that they can take a look at that, and it can be shut yeah. down at any time. So because we want to give people access, and now with QR codes being so prevalent after what we've been through in the last two or three years, that's a good way for people to be able to get in there and get that information quickly, because it will, could save your life. It absolutely yeah. could save your life. But you decide what they want to see you want anybody to see and you can shut it off like that. So it basically is the ability to give some of that, but if, So we look at all kinds of standard and privacy, but again, going to that EU standard.
0: And so so useful. You you've got Apple which does the, you know, emergency ID thing. But being able to provide that level of detail and being able to have that communication aspect and the callback and uh, yeah, the phone tree kind of thing is so important, especially because, you know, you're going to have family members who are, need the extra care or they don't always have people around them who can provide that kind of support.
1: Especially if you're mm. traveling overseas. If something like that happens, you know, you want to be able to give them the ability <clears throat> to quickly get that yeah. information. And it doesn't matter. I mean, it can be in any – anybody who has a QR code reader will be able – they will be at the hospital, be able to open it up. But that will trigger that message to your family so if, if I'm in, I've got to go to the UAE, I think in October, if I'm over in Dubai and something happens, my husband here in Washington will find out that something is happening and something is going on and he can get to what I need, you know, what has to be done. So those are the kind of things you want to be able to have in place, secure the, those things. Um, so we do a lot of that kind of different things. Also, we've got um, alerts. So my son's a mm-hmm. type one diabetic. So we have an alert system. So if Benjamin Sugar goes up over 500, or more importantly, if he goes under 75, I get an alert on my phone and say, tell yeah. me that he's in trouble. And then I can G- GPS him. Um, having alerts for mental health, being able to know we have mood, mood um, surveys that can go and say if somebody is having a crisis moment, they can reach out to either a person or a doctor. So having these other skills of just not looking at information, but actually, doing something with that information that's going to support that person through a crisis moment is super important. Um, you know, with having a type 1 diabetic in the house, um, you know, if he's really low, yeah. he's not making sense. He's absolutely not making sense. So, for me to be able to, he has a continuous um, glucometer on him, to be able to know what that is and got everybody someplace mm-hmm. who is out people around him, I can get to somebody in the area to say, give him. Um, you know, some Coke or orange juice yeah. or something that quickly. So as a mom, that's a huge piece, but we have all kinds of different things. Of those, So we're not just giving you information. We're giving you tools to handle your health, get the support you need from your family and friends mm. and doctors to be able to do really looking at the whole person and that's seeing right. what's happening in all from, and, and a lot of people forget about mental health. And that is such a huge crisis here in the, mm. in, in the world. Right. Um, to be able to control the mental, to, to really focus on mental health and what is happening there and be able to, you know, that's mm. a disease also, you know, everybody always thinks it's something different, but mental health is just like having cancer or, or diabetes or except anything like that is a disease that needs to be, have the support and the tools to be able to handle it in the same kind of way. So we, we do a lot of work there too. so real. That's to me is having a 20 year old son and seeing what the kids he graduated in 2020 it's very dear dear to my heart because there's so many friends he's lost because of it so it's something that you really want to be able to to go out there and support out in the world as best you can
0: absolutely and you know being able to provide people the tools to be able to help themselves as well is so important because not just with mental health but even with any other medical conditions some of the big issues is that people don't end up looking for help until they end up in ed and by then, you know, it's either too late or they have to start the process in a different way, which is a lot more arduous. And if you need that kind of care, you can avoid the ED by having had intervention earlier on by being able to have that access to resources.
1: So, and what you can see is, cause we have a lot of, um, uh, uh of different, uh, graphs and things. So you can start to see, so, um, going back to the, just the mental health piece, we have a daily living, yeah. right? So in daily living, you can go and say, you know, I had a great night. I slept seven hours. I woke up in a good mood, blah, 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 blah. But you can start to watch and you, as yourself, you can say, wait a second, I'm starting to trend a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not
1: sleeping as many hours. I'm, I'm waking up. I'm angry. I'm anxious or etc. I'm starting to see this. So you can get in early, earlier diabetes. If your sugar is running at this level a long time, the other thing that we do a lot, Lot of is because we can use the devices like scales and and blood pressure cuffs and things like that. Um, if you have somebody who maybe is not as much technology, maybe your grandmother, but every day you say to grandma, say, you know what, all I need you to do is step on the scale. That's all I need you to do, just step on the scale. Mm. Well, if her weight goes up in five pounds overnight, she's retaining water, water and is probably going into heart failure. So mm. with that, you would get an alert. And say, you know what, she gained five pounds on it. So you can actually jump in, maybe even get just a telehealth call going with yeah. her doctor, and they can get her on, on medication to take that fluid off her body and calm the heart down, or get her into the emergency room, or get her into the doctor's office. So, but that just that one little tool, and it doesn't seem like a big deal. And it's not a big deal to her because she doesn't have to do the technology, mm. right? You and your family are monitoring it over here, but that yeah. goes up. You get an alert on your phone that says, grandma just went at five pounds. We got to step in and see what we can do to to help her. So it's really taking this to the next level and doing some like amazing stuff with it.
0: It is. And you're, you're able to get the responsibility for some of the less urgent care factors to other people who can take it on. And you don't have to worry about either dropping the ball on it Or burdening the system unnecessarily, and it's yeah, it's such a useful tool to be able to have, and it gives it empowers people to be able to look after themselves better.
1: Yeah, and that makes you know, right now in this day and age, is I think people want to be able to know what is going on. We got Mm. pretty darn scared in the last, you know, two years, and to be able to know how to to go, even when you've gotten COVID, and I'm not sure how it is in Australia right now. We're having another whole round of COVID here um and you know my husband and my son just had it um we went to scotland and i think anybody who goes overseas right now brings a that that's the <laughs> gift you didn't want that comes home with you exactly. um but you know it's just it, but you know we're all vaccinated so they were just bad cold but to be able to go online and talk to your doctor right then and see if they can get you right on to the medicine now because they've got medicine yeah. and be able to yeah. have that conversation and just have it ordered you don't have to go into the go into a doctor's office and be able to do that and then to monitor it, being able to to, to check what your your breathing is and et cetera, the doctors can monitor you from afar. And I think that's where something we really learned that that actually really works.
0: Mm.
1: Where there was a conversation four years ago that, oh, that would never, ever work. It actually works. It's easier for the doctor. They can see more people faster and you're getting the care that you need right away versus having, and you can see a doctor that doesn't, here in the U.S., before you kind of saw your doctor right in your region now you mm. can see a doctor anywhere that can actually help you and get you get you the medication ordered, get you on that path a lot faster so um it is amazing to see how far healthcare has gone in the last three years it's just yeah. amazing it's, it makes me very excited with everything and craziness going on in the world that is something that is like wow you know what we have making strides we're getting there
0: we are so because you were saying that, you know, you can see clinicians who aren't local to you, does it mean that anybody anywhere in the world who has their records in the platform will be able to access it if they travel and if, you know, they're elsewhere and, you know, have resettle, move, relocate, whatever? Absolutely. They can follow you. Um, it, it's, so
1: they're usually attached to a government or, or a hospital system. Yeah. So let's say you do relocate, you can download them and upload them into, you know, um, into the country that you're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, data does have to live within, usually within inside a, like in the, e, you know, in yeah, it's Europe, it's boundary. in the EU. Yeah. yeah, but there's, if you're traveling, it doesn't matter because it's all, you know, you're, you're going to give access to it. Eventually, mm-hmm. if you do relocate, but there are ways to go ahead and download that information and then upload it into a new system. And our system works with all the other ones too. So you can, you can do it. Um, It would be nice to have a national, I mean, an international face, but it is, there is privacy concerns about bringing it from one country to another country. Um, So, and that, and also where the data resonates here in the U S we have some problems in Europe uh, because of the Patriot um, uh, law and people get worried about that, that the U S will, will spy on you and et cetera and we really had to, it is what it is, Um, (laughs) yeah, and um, we really had to, this happened in Sweden, we really had to get into the press and say, our data, that data is never leaving Sweden. Mm. That data is in Sweden, is not leaving Sweden. We will not have access to that data and explaining that. So there are, you know, there are certain countries that are very tough, certain countries not tough at all. So, um, but again, we go to the EU standard and say that information has got to live. So we, you know, for all the work we do in New Zealand or in Australia, your area of the world, there is, a, you know, all the information is in New Zealand is located in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And then all the information in Australia is located in Australia. Now, New Zealand and Australia do have relations between the two of them yeah. that they can flow. Um, but right now we are separate yes, in b- both the different countries. And um, so that works for us. We try to keep it, again, Going back to that privacy question, we want to make sure the privacy there, but if you're traveling, when I travel down, you know, I get to travel around the world and that information flows with me Yeah. and God forbid something happens, they can get it. And I've got a heart condition. So I want them to be able to, to be able to uh, see it at any times in any place. I just happen to travel with a nurse too, which is one of the people that work with me. So that makes it
0: much easier too. Yes. But,
1: um, but yeah, no, it is, uh, it is definitely something you can do.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So one more question about, uh, all of this infrastructure and interesting stuff, because this stuff I love, it's, it's fascinating to me having to consider the logistics of all of these sorts of things. So with the, okay, so we're still on privacy, but you've got Mm -hmm. all the consents modules in place so that people can say what they can and can't see. But in the U S you know, the Patriot stuff, as you were saying, um, if the information, like say part of the government has their setup and then they've got the information elsewhere, how do they consent to keep that information separate if the systems are connected, if that makes sense? Um, there's
1: consent management between them.
0: Yeah. So again,
1: it's patient control. Patient yep. can say, I only wanna share these four data points with that organization. Yep. I never wanna share my information with that organization. Yeah. And when you get down to certain diseases, hiv those kind of things mental health yeah another one that people are not especially here in the u.s i hate to say stigma they're not comfortable carrying it Mm. and so what they will say and now because of the the changes in laws here Mm -hmm. on the abortion rights yes people are very concerned about it very very concerned because they don't want people to know if they've had an abortion or are going to get one yeah so that's become a new kind of a um hot potato here Mm -hmm. of, of information and again, it is controlled by the patient. Yeah, They decide if they're going to share that information or not. And that's really important. And that's become something that we really, in the last, you know, three months,
0: mm.
1: having real deep conversations about what does that mean? Because certain states here, you can, in certain states, you can't. Yeah. So going over the border and et cetera. So this is something that we've already had built in and thank God we did because mm that is a issue for a lot of people. So yeah, no, it's again, controlled by the patient. Yeah. You decide, you decide never to share with anybody
0: you don't share with anybody. Yeah. And it's, it's just understanding which parts of the information are relevant to show or conceal. So any medication related to, you know, pregnancy or abortion or, you know, additional treatments. And, you know, it's yeah. The granularity of control is what's really important, especially when it comes to, you know, the information being used for other purposes that aren't designed specifically for your care.
1: It really is, and we go very granular. Mm. You know, I do not want to share that. You don't want to share that. You don't want to share this. Um, if you're working with a trainer, maybe all you want to do is share your, your, you know, what you ate and what you where you worked out. That's all, yeah. right? Um, and so, yeah, do, you know, if you go to that granular that you're only sending that tiny, tiny bit of information over to somebody. Um, so, yeah, no, that is the way we we have always had it and mm. we will always have it because it really does the power of what we do is to be able to put the control back into the patient's hands and i think that's where governments and other systems fall down a bit yeah that they don't that we want we're all about empowering the patient mm. not making it difficult for them giving them the rights and and giving them the ability to take control of what they want to take control of mm. And with that, people are, again, just even going back to building a team and you give them the power to do that kind of stuff, they will take it and then we will run with it.
0: Yeah. Amazing. But keep
1: it simple. Yes, absolutely. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that you've mentioned is super important to you is, you know, the idea of being able to encourage people towards leadership. And, you know, this is something that you've done for yourself. So it's wonderful that, you know, it's such an important thing to you to do for other people. So, you know, why why is mentoring such a big thing for you? I think, um, again, I go back to
1: having the right people that surround you. Mm. But I look at people, and I, I, I happen to have some dis- like learning disability. So, back in in my day, I, you know, back in the nineteen seventies when I was, uh, oh, sorry, the train's train, train by. Um, in the nineteen seventies, um, they just told my mom and dad that I just weren't as smart as my brothers and sisters. Mm. Because I had dyslexia, um, and all those kind of things. So I saw how it was when somebody pushed you down and said you couldn't do something. Of course, my mother is is tough and she told them that they were stupid and they didn't know what they were talking about. And she got she figured it out herself what was wrong with what was wrong and how to help me. And I had a bunch of brothers and sisters that said, Don't you call my sister that <laughs> so I had the strong people behind me but um but that encouragement from my mom and dad, and my brothers and sisters, and my my best friends, um, really showed me that the the power of positive around you, and the people saying you can do this, and having that kind of making sure I can say that to other people in the world, and it actually help them grow. I mean, I'm I guess I they all call me the the mama bear. I get so excited when I see people that I've helped to mentor. Honestly past me. One of my, one, somebody I mentored and worked with a long time. She's now the CEO of United, uh, United, um, care for up in, um, United Way. So United Way in Rhode Island, she runs the whole programs for them for all. And so when you see that, you see this growth and you see that it happens, it makes it really important, but I love working with, you know, I've done some, um, work with, uh, some of the kids in the high schools or in the colleges and in really in, in telling women that they can do this, and how important it is. <clears throat> I think it's really important. Women. I do a lot of women, but I also work with a lot of women. But I also work with a lot of young boys, and and say you can do whatever you want to do. Just find that passion and be able to do it. And then just encourage them, saying it's okay to speak up in meetings. It's okay to put your ideas out there, and get to grow, grow. And I make sure we're part of a larger corporation now, and I make sure that everybody knows. Um, well, a lot of times, I will stand back and let them shine because I want them to be able to get the exposure with inside the organization. But I don't know. I just find it really fun. <laughs> I love watching people grow. I love watching people being able to think, do things they never thought there was possible. Um, and if that could be one of my legacies, it
0: would be phenomenal. That's like, so I like it. It's, it's a good thing to, to be able to do. That's amazing. And it, it's such an important thing as well, because, you know, my thing is women in STEM. And, you know, one of the issues is that we don't get a lot of women getting towards the C-suite and then leadership roles in academia and all of that, because, you know, firstly, there's a limited number of roles available. But for quite a few people I've spoken with, you know, on the show and up, you know, you get burnout and you know, it's hard to stay the course. And, you know, there are lots of reasons why you just don't want to go up that high because, you know, some people say it's because women don't want to be seen. It's like, no, that's that's not true. But, you know, there's so many issues that hinder us making that kind of progress. So what is the sort of advice that you give people to stay the course, especially when it gets to those challenging parts where you just want to burn out or want to see change and, you know, you want to explore something else.
1: Well part of the problem part, part of the thing is and it's funny, I you know, I work for a company that is out of um Alabama and and it's a different, definitely different feel in that part of the United States. And um, I have absolutely, you know, there's still that scenario that the, you know, the, the wives stay home, they don't work. And so it, it is when you are a working mom and um, an involved mom, like I, I am, I try to be, um, and run a household and run a company. There's burnout. There's a lot of burnout. Um, it is hard. I still work, in, especially in technology, let's this, this, be honest. I work with a bunch of men. And it is, I've sat in many a meeting that I'm the president and CEO of the company, and they'll turn to my two partners and talk to my partners. And that is still happening to this day. To this day, that is still happening. You have to go in that meeting, be prepared, and speak your truth, and be able to do it. And sometimes, you have to speak your truth and let them get all the stuff out and then just come back and be ready to, to be enough push back to make them understand that you're in control, you're doing this, and you're the decision maker. And that is hard because you'll hear things from all the women out there. You're just being emotional. Mm-hmm. You're emotional because the way we, we handle things are very different from the way men handle it. And they'll say things like, oh, you're being emotional or you're not listening to me. That kind of stuff. And you say, no, honestly, you're not listening to me. And you have to be able to push back on it. Um, I think for my generation, it's a little harder. It's getting a little easier. Generations behind me. Um, There is still in, you know, uh, I'm probably, you know, I'm on the higher, like, you know, from each generation helps a little bit going down. And I do believe the generation below me and one below them is going to have a little easier push for it, but we have to encourage women to be able to balance it and they have to encourage, it's very important who you decide to be your, your partner, your, your mate in all this, because if I didn't have a husband that actually supported me and supported me through this, Um, knowing when I have to be on the road, right? So he's got to step up and take care of the kids. Um, those kind of things. The other thing, ladies out there, surround yourself with your tribe, because when I'm traveling, I'm out there, God, for something happens with my kids, my girlfriends are there 100% of the time I've got a problem. They are like, when we, my son got diagnosed with diabetes, is, a, you know, we had to take him to the hospital. I mean, he, I mean, we had to get him down to Georgetown right away. And I called two of my girlfriends. One couldn't hear me. She was like at, at a at, at, out of the fair, the other one heard and both of them, one who didn't know what was going on, but could hear it in my voice. And the other one came and they just, they showed up in front of my house and grabbed my other kids and took care of it. Those are the people you want surrounding you. You're going to have to have a tribe and you have to have the encouragement Surround yourself with really good people and you'll get there and just be strong in those meetings and know your convictions and, and do it. You can, you know what? We can power through anything. We're women. <laughs> we do a thousand things. This is just one more thing we got to do. So just go for it. Don't get burned out. Um, make sure that you do self care and you make sure that you've got your tribe and you can do it. You can get there. You can and do it. And again, surround yourself with really good people. My business partners, We've been business partners for 22 years. Those guys are ride or die. And the two men, very opposite men, very there. But, you know, if any other man in a room go after me or say something, they are 100%
0: right there for me. And, and So surround yourself with the good people and you'll be just yeah, fine. Amazing. And that that's really such an important thing because even – you know, all of us have different parts, and we're not going to have the same kind of objectives as all of our friends, but you don't need to, to be able to have that kind of support and have that kind of encouragement or mentorship or, you know, just, just a general support network who can provide that kind of assistance in whatever capacity that you need.
1: Yep. You're having a bad day. <clears throat> it could be that they come over and have, and one time I saw me a really bad day with actually a boss that. Uh, a guy that just wasn't listening to me. And I was just so frustrated. And one of my employees who's a good friend of mine. Just showed up the front door with a bottle of gin. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> I was like, she's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't need to know. I can hear it in your voice. Here's a bottle of gin. <laughs> and like, like that, like, you're like, she got me. She knew yeah. who I was. So, you know, it, it's just that kind of, that kind of support. And you surround yourself and it and, and, and it doesn't have to be just women. Yeah. It can be men. I mean, again, you know, you, 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 build that network, you do it, but just make sure that you've got, remember, it's okay to cry because a lot of times women express that more in, in tears than men. It's okay to have a cry. It really is because for us, that releases tension mm. that takes it. And then you can think clearly, but after you cry, sit down with a piece of paper and plan out your path and just go ahead and attack it. And, and, and it's, it's okay to be upset and it's okay to be, just take that energy that you're having there and say, okay, I'm over that. Yeah. What's next. What's next. Where do I move? Yep. yeah. And, and you'll just, just do fine. I have, I've yep. been able to. Amazing. Able to. And I still am doing it to this day, to this day. You've got a great group of people around you in this world and we're all As much as the world's tough right now, there's so many different things going on. People are still there to support one another. You see it in everyday life and surround yourself with really wonderful people, really thoughtful people. Keep challenging yourself. And guess what? You'll get your dream. You'll get your dream. And your dream could be to be the CEO or CTO. I'd like to see more CTOs out there, guys. Um, uh, (laughs) CEO, CTO, whatever. Or it is to be the best, darn developer you've ever been in your whole life or a project manager and sometimes maybe it's the best mom if that's your path take that path because I'm personally as a a mom being a stay home mom has got to be the hardest job in the whole freaking world so more you know like whatever your path is follow that path and we're all okay
0: with that just we're all here to support one another absolutely So it's probably a good time to move on to some of those extra questions.
1: Yes, there we go.
0: So (laughs) what hobby or interest do you have that is most unrelated to your field of work? Well, it
1: used to be a part of my field of work for shopping. is very important. I would love to go shopping. (laughs) Um, So I definitely, uh, I love a little retail therapy. Um, Theater. I love the theater. So uh, my husband and I are members of the Kennedy Center here in Washington, D.C. You might know I think it's kind of worldwide people know what the Kennedy Center is and we've got season tickets love to go to the theater love to go we just saw the Kill a Mockingbird I can't even tell you how phenomenal that was um on stage which is incredible um we're in Hamilton in a couple weeks so really going you know going to the theater being out and doing those kind of things which helps my retail therapy because I have to dress for the theater so that's it I just love it I used to do theater when I was young so this is something like I really really enjoy yeah yeah having a speech problem back in the day so I had a major speech problem Ah, so my parents put me on stage with my brothers and sisters to work on diction and being able to do it ah. so I had really smart parents I was really lucky so they got me out there and they got me up on stage to get myself through that with therapy
0: so I love it it's fun yeah. That's such a great tool for that because a lot of people, you know, they do speech pathology, mm-hmm. but you know, it's also about building confidence in being able to articulate when you're having, you know, speech issues. Uh-huh. So, you know, theater is a perfect complement for that.
1: Yep. They got me up on stage and um, all four of us, all four kids went to summer theater all the time and we did theater all the way through and music were kind of musical and um, singing and things like that. So you learn to do it, but made me fall in love with the theater. And it is yeah. fun. I'm actually um, just got tickets to Broadway to my sister for her birthday to see uh, Music Man band, music band with Hugh Jackman. Oh, so oh, um, wonderful. From, from your area, Hugh. So yes. he's, on, uh, he's on Broadway right now. So we're going to go see Hugh uh, Jackman in, deci- in November
0: in New York. That is amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love theater. Theater is great. <laughs> it's fun. It just, yeah. it, it, it breaks up. Our lives are so
1: tough and you know, but to go to the theater and just kind of be immersed in it is phenomenal mm. and you go out to dinner beforehand you do the whole thing um but sit there and listen and uh we got to go to the 15th anniversary of the Kennedy Center I've never had theater musical everything about it was just phenomenal it's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life so I highly you guys find something out there that makes you like makes you joy that's really fun for me
0: yes absolutely okay and which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? So I have a couple of them. One is Little Women. Um uh-huh.
1: but, uh little women, little men. Um and then I know everybody talks about Nancy Drew, which is like a big here in the US. <laughs> so I, I loved the series called Trixie Belden. Nobody really knows uh, it. Yeah, it's Trixie about Belden. a young yeah, young detective um girl out of upper state New York. And yes. um did you did you ever hear of it,
0: Trixie Belden? Yes, I've heard of it. I can't remember if I read it. It must have been, yeah. Oh, when I was reading Nancy Drew, it was like, but... <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. It, I think they're written in the 1950s and 60s. But
1: I love Trixie and Honey and all that. So I was the kid that my, you know, I would be like, where everybody's supposed to be cleaning the house, I'd be in the back of the closet reading my book. Um, yes. I love books, so anything I can get my hands on. But back then it was uh, Little Women, Trixie Belden, The Box boxcar kids anything like that um was my was my thing so but at, even to this day i just finished a book on um marjorie post which is a post serial um harris and that was um white you know those are interesting so now i've done a lot more uh um books on tape so yes. uh, i can listen to books and tapes but uh those are my mine back in the day those are my two yeah i loved oh the other one little house in the prairie little house in the prairie the series, the Little House on the... So now what I do for Little House in the Prairie is my, my employees have a little, I don't have a little girl. So my employees have little girls. I, um for their seventh birthday or sixth or seventh birthday, I ordered them this, the Little House on the Prairie series. And I sent it down oh, to them. Oh,
0: that's so great. So it's a good
1: one for them to start reading with their parents and then moving up from there.
0: Yeah, that's great. I love the ones that you can share with the kids. Like they're not often like contextually the same as they were when you read them when you were kids, but there's still something really enchanting about those books. And, you know, just the, the, even the period pieces or the Nancy Drews and the Trixie Beldens, there's just something that's so fun and adventurous about being able to read what these lives were like, even though they weren't real, and going on these adventures with them. So yeah. for us, it was <laughs> Enid Blyton and Famous Five and, you know, all of that. So it's, it was the same sort of idea where you just got to have these little adventures. And yeah it's just one of those things that kind of sticks with you
1: <laughs> i I've loved i mean i I actually have some Tristy bells and books around here my my everybody teases me in my family, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I just found them. so it is
0: <laughs> it, it, it's fun I love it it's always a good time absolutely and lastly, what advice would you give someone who'd love to do what you do and what advice should they ignore
1: what the, should it, to do what I do I think um is to understand you have to learn all aspects of technology so if you're a developer you need to learn the business side of it if you're Mm -hmm. a business person you need to learn enough of the technology to understand the side but ultimately you need to listen to your clients and what's happening in the marketplace and be able to take that information and and bring it up what you shouldn't do is try if you really want to get up to a ceo or cto thing you have to broaden you can't go as deep as maybe you would think you'd want to if you want to be a developer and you want to learn everything about code, then you go do that. But with a CTO position, you really need to be able to, to understand the solution of it, the architect of it, of what it is and how other pieces fit into that puzzle. So on the CTO side, you have to be, have a kind of a, a mind for a puzzle. How does it all blend together? As a CEO side, you need to understand the sales and the marketing, the operations. And even if you're not mm-hmm. great in the operations, you get somebody who is great in the operations. Because you might not want to ever do accounting all of your life or yes. illegal. That's boring stuff. But I have some really good people that can do that. Um, but you need to understand the business side of it, but along with where product it is. So if you can bring those combination and the number one thing is to build the team around you, work with the right people, work with talented people. And it does not mean that everybody has to come out of Harvard or Yale or uh, St. Andrews or anything like that. Um sometimes your best people maybe didn't even graduate from college. So mm-hmm. find the person that can think on their feet. That I always look at resumes and say when they're in college, did they work that second that job? Did they part of the clubs and they, they can multitask? They can really find that multitasking. And being able to do it would be good. And the biggest advice to me for everybody out there is sit down, plan your course, plan your path, and follow it. And not to be discouraged, just not to, you know, people get stuck with a wall in front of them. You need to figure out how to get around that wall. You go around it, either side, go over it or go or dig a hole and go under it. Don't stop. Just figure the way around. It. It's an old boy scout song that says you can't go around it. You can't go over it. <laughs> You've got to get up. So you have to figure out a way around it to be able to get to that pace. So if you have a
0: goal, figure the way to get to that goal. Mm. And it's just so many of these sorts of things that come up. Like a lot of people have said that, you know, they've, they've planned their path and it's not been a straight line and it's never going to be a straight line. But if you have an objective, like you know where the goal is, it doesn't matter how you get there because you might find, you know, alternate routes to get there and that's okay. And sometimes you have to take a sidestep instead of going up. And a lot of people, you know, consider that a failure, but it's not, it's a deviation it's a detour. You learn from it, and it gives you more experience for the next step. And you know, it's a lot of people are so you know narrowly focused. They forget that it's okay to deviate. That it's okay to be diverse in your interests and in your route. So I always tell
1: my uh, my kids that it's not a sprint. It's a journey, mm-hmm. and we're on a journey. You know, I started in retail, and I ended up being the CEO of a. A, a software development company <laughs> who wouldn't thunk it right I, I'm terrible at math so I would never be a developer um and but with all these different paths following my passion I just ended up being at that that spot so mm-hmm. right now in the world and I, I'm dealing with college kids that just aren't enhanced of Coming out of 2020, where they were stuck in dorms and they couldn't do things and etc., it's it there's a complete turning point for these kids, and now they don't believe in college anymore. They don't believe Mm -hmm. in that path, and they're figuring out different ways to get to where they need to be. I am fascinated to see where these kids end up. My kids actually went through nine. My my son was born during 9/11. I mean, literally like 9/11 for us here. So his classes had this really bumpy road because there's all kinds of things for them. Mm -hmm. I am fascinated because of that, though, They came really strong kids, fascinated to see where they end up, but, but their journey is going to be different than yours or my journey. And we have to support that, but people, your journey is your own journey and just figure out your passion, where you want to be and
0: just keep going till you get there. Mm, Exactly. And that was one of the things that came out of 2020. A lot of people were saying, you know, this is gonna be a year of my life that's lost. This is gonna be two years, whatever years of my life that's lost. It's like, no, because you know, the path that you took isn't available anymore. Find a new one. Make it make this year not a loss, but a preparation for the next one and being able to position yourself in a way that can pick up and continue on in a different spot. And you know, it, it's another one of those things about resilience. And you know, I've been reading Angela Duckworth's book on grit. And it, it is about that. It's about finding that you do have alternate routes, alternate paths. And, you know, it, it's not about where you're stuck on. It's how you get past it. It,
1: it really is. Uh, it's part. I'm up for a word called the moxie or, or having moxie and, yeah. and, and being able to adapt, to get there. And, you know, um, it's been interesting watching, a, you know, I have a 20-year-old who graduating in 2020, didn't have graduation, homecoming, or anything, and it it was really tough on these kids, incredibly tough on these kids, and to watch these kids, and some of them stayed with the college course, some of them stepped out for two years, and then they're going back in, and uh, what I find really cool about these kids is they're not judging one another,
0: Mm.
1: they're not, like, you know, it used to be that you had to be in a four-year, you had to go, they're now, like, hey, man, just take it at your own pace, And I think they're teaching us something Mm -hmm. of saying it's okay to slow down, figure out the next steps before you jump. And uh, it's better for your mental health. It's better for where you want to be. And maybe you're making a better choice. You don't waste that four or five years that we all thought our careers are going somewhere. And then you're like, I hate this, right? <laughs> they're going to college. After, like, they're going to like, They school a little later going, you know, what? I'm really passionate about that. I'm going to go to college for that. How many people we know went to college and got a degree and they walked out and said, I don't think I'll ever use that. <laughs> I, like, I have, like, I've heard accountants and they like, went, had, went for accounting and they're like, I don't even like accounting. I'm like, could you just graduate an accounting degree? So yeah, it's a little different, but again, just find your own path. You'll it'll be fine.
0: Yeah. And coming back to your thing about, You know, not going too deep when you're actually heading towards leadership roles. It's an interesting thing because, you know, it's more common now that, you know, you get your tech and STEM degrees, which have a side of business or a side of project management. Mm -hmm. And it's those sorts of things that are so important because, you know, you need to be able to understand all these other soft things in order to succeed in your technical field. And, you know, having that breadth of scope of going, I'm an engineer, I know how to build this thing, but I need to understand the business aspect to understand what's important in a business for what I'm building. And, you know, I need to understand budgeting because if I'm going to be running teams, I need to understand how all of this stuff works and how you allocate funds and allocate resources. And it's, you know, as a dev myself, I I freelance, I run my own business. So business of one, but it still means I have to understand business development and talking to my clients, not just about building what it is they want verbatim, but understanding what their business needs are and how to adapt to what their objectives are and talking about, you know, what other aspects of business other than software that's important to them, that will be valuable to them. And having that broader scope is, you know, it, it makes you better at what you do because you're getting an idea of the bigger picture and you can transition from operational to strategic in a more, you know, it's, it's a more balanced, and more flexible way, which means that you are position, positioning yourself for, you know, management, leadership, if that's the way you want to go. Or in, you know, if you want to go the other streams, you know, you can still, you know, run teams or run your own business and it still works that way as well.
1: Absolutely. Um, I work at the University of Maryland and we just, uh, we they have something called the Quest team. Mm. And on the Quest team is you had uh, multiple everybody's learning all those pieces right so they did a project for us and actually won the um, the, the um, capstone award of the project they did which is great because we're up against pinterest and lucky martin all these large corporations and my, our team won um but it was they able to bring all the business side into it the other thing is really important is you need the business side you need the development side you need the ux ui side yes and that's human the human interactive of what actually happens when you're on a website yeah. or an application and understand the humans. And so that's a whole psychology It is piece that is now coming in. And we've seen, you know, actually one of my employees just graduated with a master's in it. We're starting to see that coming into play too. So, and my, my youngest son is a graphic artist and digital artist, and seeing where he's only 15 and, but he's already in that side of it. Right. And that's a whole different side of STEM. Yeah. We think about development, but then you got this, this artistic side that is able to bring in. So it's bringing all those aspects together to build something really creative. Mm-hmm. So you have to have all those pieces. Even if you don't, you want to go out and find the best of breed that do have that the best people out there that can train you enough that you understand the importance of it, but you can rely on them to take it to the next level. Yeah. So it, it, it is, it's really, I just think is really interesting where we're going, mm-hmm. you know, with, um all of it so and especially having having an artist down the road and you know i mean working i'm at home right now right down the hallway from me yeah and be able to see and yeah if you want to get you know have a real wake up if you're not knowing what you're doing talk to your <laughs> teenage kids they'll tell you all about like what is that
0: Absolutely. um and you realize yeah you got to stay ahead of it yeah it's the future really good <laughs> And that's one of the things that I love about the health sector, because it's, you know, it's full steam, like, which is the whole point of this show, because, you know, you've got your medical, but you've got yeah. the, you know, the software side, the psychology side, because you need to understand the patients and the users and how the way they work and the way they use things. But you also have, you know, the ethics of how you manage your content and, you know, policy and legal and all of these other things all make up part of what you do on a daily basis. And it's not just building a software platform and selling it. It's so much more than that because it's, you know, it's really about the people and that's what's amazing about this field. It really is. And that's what makes it fun. Yeah. It makes it
1: fun. And just because you maybe didn't go to college for computer science or things, does that mean that you don't belong in this journey and in this fun and to be able to do it. um, It's, it's really cool to see the passion I've seen people have been able to do with it so yeah no come join us it's (laughs) it's it's really
0: fun it's really fun and it's the future is where the future is going yeah well this has been such an amazing conversation to have with you today robin i've really appreciated talking with you about you know all this everything about the way that you know get real health works and what it's trying to do for the people and all the different considerations and how you know you, you do expand to other groups and other countries and you know being able to support all of these aspects of integrated health so if people would like to learn more about what you do where can they go well
1: you can do a couple of different things you can definitely go to getrealhealth.com but follow me on linkedin i mean that's usually the best way you know so it's you know robin wiener w-i-e-n-e-r because a lot of people <laughs> get me mess up a little bit um and um and follow me uh, honestly on linkedin and you'll see a bunch of information coming out all the time and kind of, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, not only just our press releases come out, uh, any of it or follow get real health on, on, on LinkedIn or on Twitter. That's really where we put a lot of the information out and, um, but yeah, no, we really please follow us and see what we're
0: doing and we're career going. And, uh, we'd love to hear from people. It'd be great. It's wonderful yeah so thank you again this has been amazing and i hope you have a great rest of your evening
1: i will i will it's getting a little late here so i'm uh, ready to get ready to go to head to bed i'm here on the east coast of the united states so it's a bit in the different time zone but um thank you michelle this was fantastic i really enjoyed our time
0: i love speaking with robin today about her journey from fashion to healthcare it and the importance she places on the human side of business it's also been fascinating to hear about what it takes to create an internationally used digital health platform, one that not only empowers patients to manage their own healthcare needs, but also has a focus on privacy and consent. To learn more about Robin and what we discuss on the show, or to connect with us, please visit the STEAM Pod website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find out more about Get Real Health at getrealhealth.com, and find Robin on LinkedIn, the links of which will be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let me know. Subscribe to the show, leave a review, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steampard on Patreon and Ko-fi on the Steampard Show, the links for which will also be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.